If you would, please turn to the Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, that's the first page of the New Testament. I told you last week, now that we are in the Advent season, I'm going to preach all of Matthew 1 and 2 to us uh, here at Christmas time leading up to it. Last week, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the very first passage in the New Testament. Today, we're going to finish out chapter 1 with Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And then next Sunday, which will be the 15th, and then the next Sunday after that, which will be 22nd, which is the last Sunday before Christmas, we'll finish out chapter 2. I said last week that there are so many ways that you may be thinking, I know these passages, I've, I've read Matthew 1 and 2 before, and I know what Christmas is about, and I hope that is the case on, on some levels, but I also want you to be thinking, wow, this is good, and this is connecting with my heart. I mean, I knew what that was, but I'm trying to focus on Jesus now. I'm trying to focus on God in this, this season of the year and this season of my life, and so I think this will be a good help. The holidays do something to me. They make me emotional, and I'm thankful for that. I do like the Christmas time, and I like to think about the memories that I have from, from being a child and growing up, and then the memories that I have uh, since I've been married and started a family. And I like even the idea that I'm creating memories now with my, with my kids. And, you know, it kind of drives me to uh, communicate more with them, more downtime, more time talking, more time on the couch or with the TV off, or more time in the, even in the floor of the living room and focusing on those things that, that matter most. And the, the holidays kind of do that for me. And I got to tell you all that, that talking to my kids is it's just humorous in and of itself. They're all so very different, right? And trying to have a conversation with a kid can be, can be so funny. Sometimes I'll be talking to one of my kids and, and it's literally like pulling teeth trying to get an answer. No matter what happened, it's like, yeah, it's good. How, how was the day? It was, it was good. Anything happened? No. Did you learn anything? Yeah, what? I don't know, right? I mean, that's how, that's how it is sometimes talking to kids. And then, then there's other times where I'll say, you know, what's going on? And then they start talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And 10 minutes later, I'm like, all right. All right, good. You don't have to tell me your whole life story when I ask you how the day was, right? Then you feel so bad, feel so bad about that because you want them to talk. And then I got two girls. And they are so animated and so sassy and hips fly and hands go here and there's all of this when we're talking. And it's all good though. I mean, it really is. I want to, I want to be able to talk to them. And I like to be able to hear kids explain things from their perspective. I really do. And it's fascinating to what like excites them. Things that I think would be no big deal. They get so hung up on and really like. I love to hear them keep talking. And I was thinking about that because Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 in our passage today says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew says, right, let, let me tell you about it. Here's what went down. Here's what happened. Here, here's my version. Here's how I tell it, right? And we get to hear. And as you know, Matthew kind of gets real specific, as you're going to see here in just a little bit, but he also doesn't, doesn't hold back that much, and he doesn't elaborate that much either. I mean, it, it's pretty short here. It's only 18 to 25 on the birth of Jesus, and you get to chapter two, and you're into the wise men, and if you know anything, which I'll preach that next week, the wise men weren't there at the birth. They came later. So it's, it's short. But it is Matthew going, here's how it happened. 
And we're about to walk through it, and that's what I want us to do today. I really just want y'all to bask in and just soak in the, the true word of God telling us what Christmas is all about. But it's also emphasizing God did this. God sent Jesus. God sent us a savior when we needed it. That's what this is. That's Matthew's account. Here's how it happened. It happened in this way. God did it, is what he's saying. And so today, let's read from Matthew 1, 18 to 25, what happened. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's how it happened. It took place in this way. That is Matthew's account. I want to walk you through it today. Let's begin at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. There was a mother, Mary, and she had a man, Joseph, and they were betrothed, right? And you know this. You've heard this word before, I assume. This is the, the closest thing we've got to being engaged, except for to us, we just have married and engaged, and depending on you know, what you're like or how serious you are, engaged can mean we're, we're just dating and maybe one day we're going to get married, or engaged can mean we're really, 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 really sure we're going to get married and now we're planning it, right? Engaged for us can mean a lot of different things, right? But betrothed is a little bit more than that. We just say it's like being engaged. When you are betrothed, you are married. You just have not consummated the marriage by sexual intimacy. I think you know that, right? You were married. They used the term husband and wife. They used the term divorce to end the betrothal. You're married. You just have not come together, all right? And that happens. And we don't have that as a formal category in, in our culture. They did. It's called being betrothed, all right? That's what they were. Mary was Joseph's wife. Joseph was Mary's husband, but they had not been together. It says there in verse 18, before they came together. That means they had not been together. They had not slept together. There had been no sexual intimacy between them. And in that setting, Matthew breaks this wonderful, miraculous news to us. She was found to be with child. She was pregnant. This is eye-opening, right? This is show-stopping. This is attention-grabbing, and that's what the Bible wants us to get. When they were betrothed, before they had come together, she was with child. She was pregnant, to which everybody in the history of the world, including Joseph, including Mary, said, how can this be? When you read the account in Luke, 
it says, Mary asked, how can this be? You remember that? Mary asked that in Luke. How can this be? To which every adult in the room knows, if you haven't been with somebody, you could not be pregnant, right? And that's what we have in the Bible story. In Matthew chapter one, that young Mary is found to be with child and she has not even been with a man. She hasn't been with her husband. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, that God did that from the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, we Christians, us Bible-believing people, believe in a miraculous, miraculous miracle power of God that he made the virgin Mary pregnant. Yes, we believe that. We believe that through and through. The Bible says it right there, and we believe it. Well, as you know, Joseph would have been blindsided by this. Verse 19 says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He knew that if she was pregnant, it wasn't from him. And you know how that would feel. You know how uncomfortable, how awkward, how shameful or embarrassing that would be to Joseph. The Bible wants us to not go down that road too very far, and the Bible puts this awesome, awesome emphasis on the character of Joseph. We can't miss this. Yes, Jesus is the main character of this passage today. Yes, God did it is the point. Yes, we know that Mary is a huge character in this, but we need to focus right now on Joseph and what the Bible says about him. God wants us to see the character of Joseph, the God-honoring character of Joseph. It says Joseph, right? Because when you hear of your girl being pregnant and you know it isn't from you, that'll do something to you, and that's who Joseph is. And Joseph, is in this position, but it says being a just man. Some translations say a righteous man. As I was looking this up and studying this, it says that this phrase is a Hebraism, meaning this is a a phrase that happens in Hebrew a lot, meaning a, a good man in the godly sense, not meaning a good man like you and I would use it. If there is anything, listen to me, as subjective in our culture, it is the phrase, he's a good man, right? We will call almost anybody a good man, right? And he was a good guy, I tell you what. That's subjective. This is not what the Bible's saying here. The Bible is referring to Joseph as a just man, a righteous man, a godly man. It brings the, as one commentator says, a true believer in God who had already thereby been declared righteous by believing and who carefully obeyed the law. Another commentator says that this means he was careful in observance of what God says. That's what this means. They said the same idea is used in in Genesis chapter six when it described Noah. You remember when God said that he looked on the earth and saw that everything was bad and everything was only evil continually and so God was going to uh, judge the earth and send a flood and it says, but there was Noah and Noah found favor in the eyes of God and then it described Noah as being this righteous man. Same phrase, same idea. 
It's describing Joseph now in this way. And it really, really shows us the importance of Joseph as a key character in the Christmas story. A good man, a just man, a righteous man, a godly man. Listen. Who, who had, listen, who had thought about needing to do something. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So he had thought about this. Now this is a problem. Something ain't right here. I guess I shouldn't keep going with this. Guess she's not who I thought she was, right? But with those thoughts, it says this. He was unwilling to put her to shame. Which I imagine every woman in the room thought, praise God for Joseph. Are there such people like this? Are, are there men like this? Are there men that get cheated on? Now, he was not cheated on, but he thought he had been. Are there men that get cheated on and she gets pregnant by somebody else and he's going to have to deal with that in public and everybody's going to know? And his thought is, I don't want her to look bad. How do you love your spouse? They were married. They were betrothed. They had not been together, but they were married. Husband and wife, it said that. He had to divorce her to get out of this. How do you love your spouse? No matter what's going on in your marriage, in your home, in your relationship, is your love, like Matt just prayed, that we would be loving, that this second candle represents this morning, love, is your love so strong in your family that no matter how shameful they are, you don't want any shame? Will you do anything to have their back, to stand by their side? Will you do anything to be there for them? Do you know this morning, can, can we acknowledge this morning that if you're in a family like I'm in a family, if you've got people in your life like I've got people in my life, that it's gonna be messy at times. There's gonna be heart. There's gonna be let down. There are gonna be things that we just shake our head at and go, I'm not real proud of that, but I'll be there with you. I'll stand by your side. Notice that he did not want to put her to shame. He didn't want to shame her. And this is at the very essence of what it meant when he said he was a just man. Folks, the Bible teaches us when we're focused on God, we love others. We love our enemies. We do not repay evil for evil. Somebody stabs you in the back, you don't stab them on the back. Somebody slanders you, you don't slander back. This is the way Christians are to be. This is the way we are to be in a, in a community, in a neighborhood, in a workplace, in, in, in society, around people. We are to be what God wants us to be. We are to show people what God is like. And we have here Joseph being truly a just man, a righteous man, who one who was not focused on God would be wanting to put her to shame. I know a lot of people who love to shame when they think it should happen. I know a lot of people that love to, to hurt when they think I've been hurt. There's a phrase out there that says, hurt people, hurt people. Y'all have heard that before, right? But not this righteous and just man, Joseph. He was wanting to maneuver himself out of this in the most quiet and small way where God would still be honored. Where God would still be honored in loving his wife. I don't want to go too far on this point, but man, be like Joseph. 
Single people, look for somebody like Joseph. Single girls, hold out for somebody like Joseph who wants your best for you, who wants to honor you, who wants to not put you to shame regardless of how shameful it seems. It doesn't take long at all for you to walk around and you hear about something that happened and somebody loves to tell you the dirt side of it so as to justify, but not Joseph. Not Joseph. And we see this most clearly at verse 20. But as he considered these things, you think, well, if he had resolved to divorce, listen, if he had resolved to divorce her quietly, then why didn't he divorce her? Listen to me. Because Joseph was a God-fearing man. He had a relationship with God. And you know what people who have a relationship with God do? They don't act rashly. Listen to me. We don't. We don't act rashly. We don't run quick to social media. We don't fight back as soon as we can fight back. We consider things. We hit our knees. We pause. We say, I need some time to think about it. I need to pray. I need to take this into account. I need to do what the Bible tells me to do and ask God for wisdom in this situation. Is life full of hard situations? Is life complicated? Is life uh, put us in places where it's hard to make a decision to which every one of us go, yes, 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 yes. Life is hard and complicated and we hurt through And we're all in situations from time to time where we're not really sure what we should do. And you know what God wants us to do? Take a step back. Don't act rashly and consider. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. God, give me wisdom in this area. What direction should I go? What decision should I make? How should I do this? And thank God Joseph did this. Verse 20, as he considered these things. So he didn't go and divorce her as soon as he could divorce her. Imagine how different the story would have been, right? He didn't. He considered it. He took time to think. The Bible doesn't say that he prayed, but we can assume that he probably did. He was a godly man. He spent time thinking. Folks, learn. Teach yourself to take time to consider I once heard somebody say, maybe Dave Ramsey or somebody, that anytime you need to make a big purchase, right, and you're about to make the big purchase, see if you can leave, go home for 24 hours to think on it, and see if you still want to make that big purchase tomorrow, right? Just take some time to consider it. I remember one time when I was a kid, my dad promised me if something happened, he'd go buy me this North Carolina Nike hoodie sweatshirt. I was so pumped about it. We were going, I was way, we were going to the mall that night to get it, get it, get it. I was so pumped, we were going, we were going to go get it. And for whatever reason, dinner went late, dad got home from work, and, and we weren't able to go that night. And I was so mad, and I threw a fit, and I looked like a spoiled brat, and I got so mad at my dad. You don't care, you promised me, and all of that. And true, this is a true story. The next day, he came home from work and said, hey, sorry about that, I, I can take you tonight. And I said, it's all right, I don't really even want it anymore. I've never forgotten that because if I had been mature enough to consider things and I wouldn't have known, I would have realized I didn't even really want it, need it that badly. But I acted ugly and disrespectful that night because I didn't know how to consider things. Joseph considered this situation. God, I, I know I didn't get her pregnant. I know I love her. I know I made vows to her to love her well. 
What do you want me to do here, God? I think I should divorce her. God, what do you want me to do? And while he was in that position, considering, seeking the Lord, wondering, questioning, seeking wisdom, guess what happened? Verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's the second time already we have heard God did it, right? Verse 18, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Already twice, the word of God tells us God did this. We Christians believe in the virgin birth. We believe that God made her pregnant. But can you imagine? You ever been like relieved after praying or relieved after considering? You ever been relieved after God answered a prayer or the word of God hit you the way it can hit you and you thought, wow, how differently my life would have been, Joseph must have thought, if God had not come through with this dream, Right? What a relief when he hears. That's not because she's been unfaithful to you, Joseph. You don't need to break off this relationship. This is of God. Don't be afraid. Stay with her. Go and marry her. Praise the Lord. Now, we can't miss the obvious here in verse 20 that what has happened is God has revealed this to Joseph through a dream. And this is not very common, okay? This is not very common. This is God saying something to Joseph through a dream. It's not very common. It's not very common in society now. We do hear, listen to me, we do hear more and more stories and accounts of this type of thing happening throughout the world in other places, but those places very, very strongly are places where they do not have the word of God. I don't know how to say what God does through dreams. I don't want you to think that God is speaking you through a dream. God speaks to us through his word and we have his word. But we do hear stories of God speaking to people through a dream. But there's no way to know if God is speaking them to a dream until God, through a dream, until they find out what God actually says. And then they say that dream must have been a power of God. We have the Bible here, so God speaks to us. But it is very clear in the Christmas passages in the Bible, in the birth passages of Jesus, that he does this. Let me show you, okay? So right here at Matthew 120, he speaks to Joseph through a dream. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. So already three times we see speaking through a dream. Look at chapter two, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise and go somewhere else. And then look at chapter two, verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Right there in Matthew 1 and 2, this birth passages of Jesus, you have five times where God is speaking to Joseph through a dream. It's interesting. Clearly, the coming of Jesus into the world The coming of God into human flesh was supernatural. Clearly, you and I are to read this, and we are to ask ourselves, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Did God really do this? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Not only is it a miracle story, but it is history that the world largely, largely affirms. This happened. It was a miracle. 
And it truly was God sending his son into the world to save the world. Joseph, in verse 20, considered these things. And while he's considering these things, God answers all that was troubling him. Is there not a a, a point of application here? That when things are troubling you, could we slow down enough to consider? And would God comfort us, answer us, speak to us, calm us in that consideration? Oh, how our reactions would be different in the world if we would pause first for a time of consideration. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says about Joseph's conduct in this scene. He says, it is a beautiful example of godly wisdom and a tender consideration of others. Tender consideration because he did not act rashly. Oh, that we would have that sort of a a spirit about us to treat people well and kind and seek understanding and understand what would be the best direction or move or action in certain situations. We see this here through Joseph. Verse 21, the angel is still talking. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 20, listen, tells Joseph why it's not a bad thing. Verse 21 tells Joseph how much of a good thing it is, right? Verse 20 tells Joseph, this isn't bad, man. Don't be afraid. You can take her as your wife. Verse 21 says, this is going to be the long-awaited Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. This is the answer to your sin problem, Joseph. This is the answer to Mary's sin problem. This is the answer to your whole history of Israel's sin problem. This is the answer to humanity. This is the answer to the world. That baby will be the Savior. He will save people from their sins. Can you imagine being Joseph and catching this? His name will be Jesus. It's interesting here because God tells us what that baby's name is going to be. Joseph and Mary, I know it is fun to pick out names for your babies. Everybody likes to do that, but they didn't get to because he had a name already. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us he has lots of names. And all over the place, you see more and more names pop him up in the Bible of what they say Jesus is called. There's another one coming here in in just a few verses. But right now, his name is Jesus. In the Old Testament, that's the same word in Hebrew as Joshua. You know what Jesus means? God saves. You know what Joshua means? God saves. You know what Jesus means? Savior. You know what Joshua means? Savior. If you just like a little side note, right? Listen to this. The whole Old Testament story is about God's people getting to the promised land, right? You remember that? The long story of the people of Israel and the slavery in Egypt and the the exodus and the wanderings and all that. And they're just trying to get to the promised land, the promised land, the promised land. You know who the greatest leader is in the Old Testament? Moses. You know who could not lead them into the promised land? Moses. You know who could? Joshua. You know what Joshua means? Savior. You know what my life is? A whole wandering, a whole exodus, a whole in and out, a whole coming and going. You know what? And I'm trying to get all the way to the promised land. You know who can't lead me into the promised land? Me. You know who can? Jesus. You know why? Savior. Neat little note there as you think about the Old Testament. Small little types, small little pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus being the one. Here, you will call his name Jesus. 
Jesus saves from sin. To know Jesus is to hate sin. To follow Jesus is to unfollow sinful ways. These sort of things come into mind. He will save his people from their sins. We must be able to admit our sins. Must be able to admit that sin is the issue. Sin is our problem. Sin is simply anything that is not honoring to God. Anything that goes against God. Anything that's not doing what God told us to do. This is what sin is. And it is a problem. And sin will separate us from God. Our sins have us already condemned. Matt McBroom read earlier from John chapter three that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You remember when he read that, John 3, 17? God did not send his son to condemn the world. You know why? John 3 says it. The world was already condemned. The world was already condemned. He didn't come to condemn us. God showing up hadn't made anything worse, honestly. God showing up hadn't made anything worse. It's only the arrival of good news. It's only the arrival of of things getting better. He came to save anybody that would trust in him. We're condemned already because of our sins. And so with the announcement that he will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. To know Jesus is to consider your sins. To know Jesus is to think about our sins. To which J.C. Ryle comments on that and says, listen to this. He, listen, he who cleaves to his sin, holds tight to his sin, is not yet saved. Because Jesus saves from sins. Now, to struggle with sin, to continue to have to run back to God in repentance and say, oh, God, have mercy on me and forgive me, that's not cleaving to sin. But to say, I'm okay with my sin and I like doing this sin, I'm not really bothered by this sin, I'm gonna stay in this sin, points out Jesus is a savior of sinners. He will save his people from their sins. To look to Jesus is to deal or acknowledge sins. He goes on to say, listen to this. Therefore, Jesus is a very encouraging name heavy laden sinners. Is it not? What a thought. Jesus. He, you will call his name Jesus. Oh, I'm glad they named him that. Why? Because he saves sinners of which I am one. What a neat thought. Verse 22, the angel's done talking. The angel only speaks from uh, verse 20 to the end of verse 21. Verse 22, Matthew picks back up and says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. If you're not sure, a few minutes ago when I asked, do you believe it? Here's some strength on believing it. God had said hundreds of years before through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would give birth. To which everybody's been looking around like, what? There's no such thing as a virgin giving birth. And Isaiah had said it was coming. And Isaiah said that that virgin giving birth to a baby, that they would call his name Emmanuel. It says it right there in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He goes by Jesus. Mom and dad named him Jesus because God told him to, but he's also got another name, Emmanuel. And Isaiah had said that. That's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. One neat little thing about that is that when you read it in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, she will call his name Emmanuel. The virgin will call him Emmanuel. She will know this is not for me. I can't take credit for this one, right? 
You ever heard those things where you say, man, they, they, you produce good babies, or you make big babies, or you make small babies, or you make ugly babies, or you know, people say stuff like that. And the mom kind of takes the credit, you know. Mary knew, listen, Mary knew, I, 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 I can't take the credit for this one. She would call him Emmanuel. This is God. This is God with us. But when Matthew writes it, he doesn't say she. In verse 23, he says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, y'all, is a transliteration. It's not a translation. Transliteration means we're not going to translate it. We're just going to take the same pronunciation and give it a definition and use it in another language. Okay, that's what transliteration means. The word was Emmanuel in Hebrew, and guess what it is now in English? Emmanuel. And it means God with us. God with us. And, you know, God's really good at writing. God's really good at giving us a word. If God, who is the creator and all-powerful and all-knowing, if God is the one, the most important thing ever, if God is the one deserving of all worship, came to earth, entered through a mother's womb, took on flesh, and became a human. I imagine God with us is a pretty accurate name, right? Praise the Lord. To which everybody the world over struggles to know what God is or how can we know him or what's, what's his nature? Is he a spirit? Is he far off? Is he personal, right? People are always asking these questions. God with us is so helpful. God with us, Emmanuel, is so helpful. Another commentator speaking on this says this, listen. As far as our information goes, nobody ever called Jesus Emmanuel. It was not the child's name in the same sense that Jesus was. Matthew surely intends his readers to understand that Emmanuel was his name in the sense that all that was involved in that name found its fulfillment in him. If you want to know God, you want to be close to God, if you want to walk with God, if you want God to be at the center of your Christmas, or God to be at the center of your family, you can be close to God. It's through Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves from sin. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, a lot of times, my family will ask me things like, Josh, what do you, what do you want to do for Christmas? What do you, what do you think's fun? What, what do you want to do for your birthday? You know, they ask questions like that. And time and time and again, I'll say, I, I just want to be with you all. I'm serious. I, I'll just say, I, I just want to be with you all. I don't really care what we do. Go out to eat. We can eat here at home. We can go play basketball, or we can just hang out here at home, but I just want to be with you all. And many of y'all can relate, right? You ever had somebody say, well, what would you like for your birthday? And say, nothing, just want to be able to be around you all. I told my, I told my wife, I said, you know, I'd like to be around my parents soon. I haven't been around them in a while. Something about just being with people, right? What a name, Emmanuel, God with us. What a thought. God can be with us. I want to ask you very simply here, is he, is he with you? Have you taken him that seriously? And I really don't mean this kind of 
shallow, false comfort that a lot of people are trying to live with, they say, God's with me. They don't, they don't have peace, they don't have comfort, they don't have strength. Is God with you? Have you bowed to Christ? Have you sought forgiveness? Have you rested in him? Have you believed? Do you trust? Is God with you? To have Jesus is to have God in your life. To believe in him, to follow him, is to have God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Matthew focuses on here, isn't it? But can any of you recall, listen to me, this is outstanding. Can any of you all recall right now what are Matthew's final words in the gospel? The Great Commission. Remember the last phrase of the Great Commission? And behold, I am with you always. Does that comfort the Christian or does that comfort the Christian? That Emmanuel, God with us, who entered into the world to save us from our sins, walk with us, walks with us everywhere we go. And as he departs out of this world, he gives the final famous last words and says, I'm with you always even into the end. You won't walk anywhere. There isn't a place. Isn't that Lottie Moon video outstanding? I'm, I'm gonna write the IMB this week and say, y'all's videos are getting good. That video was outstanding. There is a family of people that our offering is going to who are in the mountains of Tibet, in Nepal, working in the worst conditions possible where earthquakes are happening and it's so cold, right? So they can tell people about Jesus. And you know what is their power and their strength and their comfort? Jesus is with them. Jesus is with them. That's why they're doing that. I know a lot of y'all are sitting there thinking, man, why would they be doing that? Who would ever do that? I would never want to do that. And they're thinking, we want to do it because God is right here with us. To believe in Christ is to have Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm serious. I don't know what you've been thinking about Christmas or what you've been doing with the rest of your life. But if you will trust in Christ, believe, 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 believe. If you will trust in Christ, he will be with you. And not just be with you in a Christmassy, Emmanuel type of sense, if that's all you're getting. He will be with you in a great commission, witness, power, dynamite way. I will be with you always. That's what it says there. And then it's kind of over. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. Yet now, this is like a third or fourth time now where it refers to marriage, but no intimacy. He knew her not. Knew her, knowing her, is talking about the sexual intimacy. There was none of that until she had been married. Of course, if there had been sexual intimacy there, then we would not have the miracle of the virgin birth. There would be no way, right? They weren't gonna do a DNA test to see was Joseph really his father, right? There was no chance that Joseph was really her father, his father. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name, Jesus. Matthew 1, 18 to 25 is Matthew's account of here's how it happened. And in so many ways, Joseph is a key character here. Mary's a key character when you read Luke. You read Luke's account, and there's a lot in there about Mary, a whole lot in there about, about Mary. But here it's Joseph. We can't miss the obvious that this is clearly all about Jesus. We can't miss the main point that God did it. God did this, God did this, God did this, to which you and I are to be thinking, why did God do this? 
I want to close there by saying, because this is what Christmas is really all about. Christmas is about us being so sinful and so condemned that God loves us and sent us a savior. Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us, God coming to be with us. Christmas is about Jesus. This is what it's all about. And I love the many, many, many different aspects. I was so glad to be out there yesterday at Light Up Fairdale. I love the Christmas tree. I love the singing. I love the Santa riding by on the fire truck. I love Christmas. I love all the different things about Christmas. Took my family to a Christmas concert on Friday night. There are so many awesome aspects to Christmas. But you know what makes it so awesome is that I know what it's really about. You know what makes it so meaningful is that we've been dialed in on this since Thanksgiving. It's about Jesus. It really is all about Jesus. It really is from the word of God. It really is what God is telling us and what God has done. And I want to close by reading to you the lyrics from a good old Christmas song and notice how much of the Bible is in it. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Listen to this. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Christmas is about Jesus. Matthew chapter one says God did it. If you're aware of your sins, if you're in need of God, if you're in need of a savior, if you're looking for direction, y'all, you have come to the right place, the word of God. God loves us and sent Jesus to us. May we center ourselves on him today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your passages in the Bible. Thank you for your truth revealed to us. Thank you, God, for songs that are all about Jesus, all about your word. Father, work in our hearts that we would believe today. Oh, God, help us to believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing this final song, let's respond. Perhaps you're here thinking, I've not been taking in Christmas the way I ought to be. And I've certainly not been focused on Jesus. Now's the time to respond. If you want to talk to me about getting your life focused on Jesus, I can help you do that. If you've never been baptized and you need to get baptized, then let me know. I can help you move in that direction. If you're wanting to be a part of our church, start the process of joining our church, be a member here and us be a church family to you, you can do that now. But bigger than that, if you know God's not with you, you've not been focused on him, 
You're not a just man the way Joseph was. Any of those things that came out today, if you're ready to get yourself focused on the Lord, then even as we sing, seek the Lord and do that. In closing, let's sing.